Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. On this week's episode, Nancy and I will be discussing a paper that's titled Lightning Safety of Animals by Chandima Gomez. And this paper addresses a concurrent multidisciplinary problem. So it's animal safety against lightning hazards. It's a 2011 paper, but it is still um, very I suppose, accurate for its time. So even though it's over 10 years old, it addresses what implementations we can use to try and increase animal safety. Whereas a lot of papers and even more current research papers don't tend to cover that. So in this paper, they're looking at animal safety against lightning hazards. In regions where lightning is prevalent, either seasonally or throughout the year, a considerable number of wild, captive and tame animals are injured due to lightning generated effects. The paper discusses all possible injury mechanisms, focusing mainly on animals with commercial value. A large number of cases from several countries has been analysed in this paper. Economically and practically viable engineering solutions are proposed to address these issues related to lightning threats discussed. So this paper is a really interesting read. Um, Unfortunately, it's not open access. So you do need um, university access to be able to read it. But Nancy and I are going to go through uh, changes you can make and look at why animals are more susceptible and also how they may be suffering the effects of a lightning strike without you realizing that that's occurred. Yeah, this was really an eye-opener for me because we get so many lightning storms. And, um, you know, I guess I never really thought about a four-footed animal having that space between its front feet and back feet. So, like, their uh, front feet can have so many volts, and then their back feet can have a differential of volts. So that sends that current through to try and equalize the amount of electricity that's in that current. So I was really impressed with, um, gosh, they go through the touch potential where um, if, you know, a horse is touching a metal fence or a wire fence, um, they can get a lightning strike if there's current um, going. So say a lightning um, strike hits the top of a tree, it can arc to that metal fence. And then if a cow or a horse touches that fence, that current will jump into them. And usually the deaths from lightning strikes are because of organ injury and uh, that current's traveling from the front of the animal through the back and you know into the ground. And even at a 90 degree angle, 
it can still enter into the animal and still that space between front and back or the step potential of them, you know, being grounded and then lifting a foot can even make that differential occur of that voltage to where it sends that current through them. I never realized that before. It was really, really um, explanatory about how lightning uh, is charged. And I think one article said a lightning strike can generate like 50,000 degree Fahrenheit heat. And that, you know, yet sometimes an animal won't have a burn mark on them. Yeah, it's incredible. When you were talking about the step potential, that seemed to be the main one that kept coming up that animals end up succumbing to. So this is where the lightning doesn't directly hit them, as Nancy said. It could hit the top of a tree. And if the animal is near the tree, you can picture it almost like the letter L. It goes down through the tree and it runs through the earth. So along the soil and then goes through the animal. And Nancy said, you know, as they've got those front feet and back feet, it goes almost like an arc through the front feet um, and out the back or vice versa. But there might not be burn marks, um, which this the step potential really kind of, I suppose, frightened me, but also intrigues me because it's so it's so difficult to avoid in a wild scenario like it's next to impossible to avoid there are things we can do in our paddocks to try and reduce the chance of this happening but even as nancy said if the animal you know in the picture the tree is in front of a bear and a bear is walking towards the tree it hits the tree runs through the ground through the bear but even if the animal's at a 90 degree an angle to it or is not like face on it still can have that same potential. So then it got me thinking, like, how is that avoidable? Because they cover this in the beginning of the paper. And it really became like a riveting story that sucked me in. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of maths in this paper. And there's a lot of um, talking about, like, kilovolts and how the electricity is conducted and transferred. Um. But it really did draw me in to being like, wow, like this is a massive potential. It has disastrous effects. And how can we actually avoid this happening? Because they list a number of cases that they've just looked at. Like there's many more than the cases they've discussed. But the ones, they had 22 cases they looked at. And in one example, 850 sheep died on an open hilly terrain in a livestock farm um, that was Salt Lake City, Utah so another one was 654 sheep like there, it can be absolutely devastating and for us to lose one horse is truly devastating from it so it's a massive potential that there are ways we can try and avoid the, um, the four ways a horse could be our human or sheep or cattle uh, that you can, um, I guess, be struck by lightning is we mentioned the touch potential, the step potential, 
of course, the direct strike, which is least likely to occur, but it can, and then a side flash. And the paper explains it, uh, that lightning hits a tree, but because of the size of an elephant, it arcs off that tree at a higher level and hits that elephant in the head and travels through the body and, and kills that elephant. And this does say the larger the animal or the taller the animal, the more uh, dangerous lightning storms are. But I mean, it killed a lot of sheep too. So, um, you know, I was happy to see that they also mentioned a surface reactivity or soil reactivity, uh, resistivity what is basically what it is. How can we make where what these horses are standing on is uh, resistive to lightning strikes? And, uh, you know, surprising it was gravel. So um, if you have a tall tree, they recommend putting a gravel around that tree. So if that's the tree the horses head to in a lightning storm or in a rain or any storm, um, they'll be standing on gravel, which seems to not be uh, such a conductor of the lightning. So I was happy about that because I have a paddock that I have graveled for their hoof health. And that's where their um, kind of overhang is that my horses go into during a storm. So they can all travel in there and knowing if lightning hits a tree that's outside the pasture or a building, um, that gravel will not be um, as much a conductor for that current. So I, did I explain that correctly, Kate? Yeah, I think they said 20 centimeters of gravel. And was it for a two meter radius, I believe, yeah. around the tree? But that's, I mean, I know I'm not saying gravel's free. Um, it's obviously still an expense, but it's a cost effective way to secure your paddock. And yeah, it might need topped up every couple of years or so, but typically the horses aren't going to be kicking that gravel about too much because that's going to be hard on their hooves. Well, um, you know, the reason we did it had nothing to do with lightning. It was because um, they were making mud in that area by, you know, uh, trampling on it over and over. And um, I didn't want them pulling a tendon when the mud got really, really um, deep. You know, so we just decided to fill, you know, gravel it. We had gotten filter that had way too much clay in it. And that created quite a mess for their hooves and their tendons and legs. So we ended up putting the gravel and it has worked great. You can walk out there, not lose your boot and the mud yeah. and, and all that. You know? And you so, can do that around the fence as well, like which yeah. also doubles for, I mean, how mucky it can get at the entrance to a field just from all of that. Um, passage over it but you can gravel again it has to be about 20 centimeters thick I believe they said and to try and do it for two meters around the perimeter of the fence and again that will lessen the chance if the fence gets a strike so you may not have trees in your paddock 
But if that fence gets struck, then that will dissipate with the gravel. Yeah. And I felt like um, they were saying wire fences or metal fences much more likely to get hit over wood fences. But, you know, nothing is guaranteed. They all things are out there. Um, you know, they say get indoors during a lightning storm. Now, they did not say that about livestock because, um, you know, some horses don't do well being in in a barn during a storm. They just get so agitated. But um, this paper is great to point out ways to ground your fence with grounding wire and then also use the rock and then also uh, low areas are somewhat resistive to lightning strikes. So hill, hills and valleys of a pasture, the top of the hills are more prone to lightning strikes. And then that even goes up higher when at the top of the hill, there's a tree. And it's not good if horses head there to get under a tree that's on top of a hill. So um, anyway, um, I don't think I have. Um, well, the other interesting thing, Kate, was about that stepped leader of lightning that's coming out of the clouds to meet the answering leader, which is coming from the ground. So I had to look this up because in the paper, it didn't explain those two roles um, that well. And the step leader is coming cloud to ground, but it has to have an answering leader on the ground. So a tree, uh, some area that is wanting to make that connection. And it's all about those attractive ions wanting to connect. That's what ends up creating those uh, lightning strikes. And sometimes you can have multiple strikes remember they used to tell us lightning only strikes in one once and that's mm -hmm. it. but it's like multiple times you know it can be so there's a lot of misinformation out there um with good lightning safety i went to the national weather service to see what their safety rules were. And it was like, just don't assume it's not going to happen. Again, if you have lightning um, strike an area on your farm, just be aware that it's probably going to strike there again and again and again. And if it's in your pasture, you might want to correct that situation. Yeah. And not they do talk about, um, you mentioned grounding the fences um so they go into four steps on how to ground your fence i'm just going to very briefly touch on this because i actually think the smartest thing to do is to get advice based on your paddock and your setup and what you can do and get it properly grounded if you can now it's again an economical way that they suggest is that you just use some metal wiring they say it can be barbed wire, but you need to take the barbs off it. Um, and if you have a large paddock, I mean, when I read that, I was like, that sounds like a lot of time <laughs> trying no to take those barbs off the wire to you know, plant the wire. What I thought in my head, are you kidding me? I have thoroughbreds. Yeah. They're going to find that wire and get it stuck in there. Yeah. Wire. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that's why they were like, you can take the barbs off, and I was like, surely you can buy wire without the barbs. <laughs> Let's just skip the extra uh, step. But you need to ground um, the fence, basically. So it should be grounded at regular intervals. So this is generally at the supporting poles, and that's usually about three to five meters apart. And you can do this by stapling a vertical wire together with a horizontal wire at the pole. Then that wire needs to run down under the earth, about 50 centimeters beneath ground surface, and attach, be welded ideally, to a wire that runs the circumference of the field. And this is a ring conductor. Then if you put your gravel on top, you are greatly reducing that risk. But if you're in a high lightning zone, I, I, I'm sure that's not even the correct terminology for it, you should seek advice for how to do this. Like there'll be people in your area that um, build fences and do this work that will know and will be able to give you advice on it. And it's a change you can make that could make a big difference because what I did not realize was you could have a horse that's been hit by you know, like a step potential flash of lightning. And it may not be a high enough voltage to kill them, but it can fracture vertebrae. Like in a number of pigs, I want to say it was 56 in one of these cases, um, they had fractured ver lumbar vertebrae. So that's in the lower back post their barn being struck by lightning. So one pig died and the rest of the pigs have these fractured vertebrae. And that's something that you might not notice. Um, or sorry, five pigs died and 59 suffered this. But that's, if it's to the degree like in this, the pigs, some of the pigs were paralyzed, obviously you're going to notice that sign or symptom. But there can be bone fractures, there can be neurological signs. Um, there can be a lot of little intricacies that are potentially hinting that there may have been exposure to an electrical current. So if your horse is displaying these behaviours and there was a bad storm the night before, it's important to take that into account too, if there was lightning. That's a good point, Kate. I had never thought of that before, especially um, they had a good case study on those seven deer and they were grazing uh, in the in the area, and lightning struck almost directly in the middle of the group, and it killed six of them. Where they all fell like in a circle. The seventh one, though, um, had ocular burns, and the eyes were bleeding, and that deer was stunned and went about a hundred. Uh, feet from the group and, and then died there. And so um, the fact that it hit the ground, it didn't even hit anything high. It just came into the ground and they thought these deer were standing in flood water or it had rained. So they were in a small amount of water grazing and a lot of them died with grass still in their mouth. So, you know, when I read that, I thought you could lose a whole herd at mm -hmm. one, just from one 
cloud to ground lightning strike. And um, I wanted to add that in the United States, there are 40 million lightning strikes per year. It is increasing the past three years have seen more. And it seems the storms are more intense. So as um, there's, you know, hotter temperatures, more humidity, it seems like the lightning is getting more severe. And you can go to Simplified Lightning Stroke Density Map of the United States. Kate, I did not check if there was one for Ireland uh-huh. or Europe, but um, they um, you can check what your risk is of um, having a huge amount of lightning strikes in an area because the more strikes, the more the chance of um, someone or something getting hit. So anyway, uh, Google that and have a look in your location to see if you're in one of the high risk areas. Our area is the second highest risk area here in mid-America of the United States. And we're east of the Rocky Mountains. We've got the warm air from the Gulf of Mexico. So that just makes us more of an intense storm area. But uh, anyway, uh, have a look at that. I think Florida is one of the highest areas. So it seems to be the moisture is what triggers a lot of these high storm areas. I um, actually looked it up. So our the Irish uh, weather website, we call Met Erin. Erin is Gaelic for Irish. But it has um, information on lightning. So, And I'm sure you can look this up on your local weather station. Like they'll have information on this. But they do point out. So we get a lot of information from the UK Met Office. If you are UK-based, that would be your go-to. But they also point out there is a worldwide lightning detection map. It's real-time, and it's a community collaborative lightning location network. So it lets you know where lightning is occurring. And that is blitzortung.org. So that's B-L-I-T-Z-O-R-T-U-N-G dot O-R-G. Um, so that's actually really interesting too because we would have a lower instance that I'm not I'll preface this I'm not a weather person so <laughs> I'm not a meteorologist but um, we would have lower instances of lightning here and I found that interesting when I visited the states I remember it was raining and me and my cousin went to go swimming outdoors and we were told like absolutely not like you cannot go swimming in the rain because it's so dangerous especially because a pool is a conductor with the metal steps into it but growing up in Ireland we we have a lot of rain here without lightning and it's a very natural occurrence for it to be raining in Ireland and we would have always gone swimming in the ocean in the rain it was never a bad thing now if there was thunder we would evacuate very quickly but the other weekend I actually brought my nieces to the beach. It's rained here for the whole month of July, pretty much. So I brought them to the beach and we were swimming in the rain and we heard thunder. So we were like, right, let's go. And on our way back to the car, the lightning started. And it's actually one of the worst lightning storms I remember. Um, 
in one of the worst thunderstorms I remember. My mom said the same thing, but the thunder was so strong and so close. It was rattling the window panes in our house and the whole house felt like it was rumbling and shaking. So it was a really intense storm. And then we lost power for a number of hours after that. Um, it's And it was really that to me because, you know, I hadn't experienced that in a number of years. But the risk, because that whole beach is wet. I mean, it's pouring rain. So it's not even just the fact that the ocean is obviously touching the sand and that's going to be a conductor, but it's also pouring rain. So everything up until the point we got into the car was a risk. And the first lightning flashes started when we were still on the beach. So I'm very mindful now to look up and check that risk. Whereas in the past, I think, I suppose like we're a lot more aware too that when we were younger, we did a lot riskier things, Um, especially in the 80s and 90s. But (laughs) I think now I would check and see, look up that worldwide weather um, map for the lightning and just make sure that it's safe. I understand then in other countries, the risk is just far too high. It's not something that you could possibly do. Yeah, and I think, too, for our horses, when we talked about the tornado, the earthquake, the hurricane, um, natural disasters, um, you know, we didn't talk specifically about lightning in that episode, but I think we have to do the same thing as plan ahead. If, you know, a storm comes up and there is lightning and thunder, and they always say where there's thunder, there's lightning. Mm-hmm need to plan ahead know what your protocol is going to be are you going to get your horses in are you going to leave them out and do you have a safe area for them that's uh, you know good for them where they usually know their behavior where they usually go in a storm I mean outside is never a hundred percent safe but sometimes it is safer than in the barn if they're gonna just tear that stall up being fearful and nervous and afraid. So um, also observe weather changes. Don't let that storm catch you, you know, off guard. And try to know, but don't go out in a lightning storm to bring your horses. And I've, uh, you know, heard more often about people getting struck by lightning or they're leading their horse in having a hold of that lead rope attached to the horse, the horse gets struck and they get killed as well. Well, So there's a time element, you know, get the warnings on your phone and uh, just know you got to keep yourself safe too. So um, don't go running out there. You stay indoors if you can and uh, do what you think is best for your horses and um, get some advice on that gravel. I was really impressed about soil resistivity I had never heard that term before and you can actually make it where it's less attractive to to lightning yeah I think that's perfect advice um I didn't have anything else on this paper I don't think Nancy I think they the only other thing I didn't say was head for the low ground yeah Uh, so if your pasture has low ground um, or it has no hills or whatever, have a nice safe area where they can run into 
I have a, a, I call it a lean to, but it's actually like a horse cabana. I'll take a picture of it and put it on Instagram because um, this is where my horses go um, in a storm. And I just happened by accident to rock that whole area because you know, wherever their loafing shed is, that is where the muddy area is. So um, I just happened to uh, put the gravel down, not even knowing it was, uh, you know, a good place to kind of um, avert the lightning strikes. So, um, yeah. And I love that you were saying your horse cabana's two sizes. Yep. Yep. Two sides. So those mares don't get, you know, I would Spicy. say. <laughs> Yeah, feisty with one another and uh, kick or have injuries. Everybody has an exit if they need to get away. And then, um, you know, the other thing is if uh, you're out riding and you have to take cover, um, don't just head out right away. Because according to the paper, the um, positive lightning strikes, they only strike once, but they're more intense and stronger. And they might be at the end of a storm. So the rain has left. You still hear the rumble of thunder, but you can still get struck by lightning. So um, they recommend using a 30-minute rule. So wait 30 minutes and then go ahead and leave your shelter to continue your ride. Or if you're at a horse show or something like that. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that was a really interesting paper um, and hopefully it can help some people out there to maybe take a look at your pasture setups and your barns and see what changes you can make and seek advice on the best way to go forward. There is obviously lots of information online on how you can do this, like how you can ground your posts and your fences but I would strongly advise getting some advice. If you're in one of those high risk areas, getting advice on how to do it correctly, because the last thing you want to do is set it up incorrectly and create kind of more of a draw and then a ring conduction. Yeah, that's a good point, Kate. So, yep, that's about all I had. And I hope this taught you guys a little bit or gave you something to think about. And, um, you know, we'll be back next week. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Nancy. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.